In this episode, I get up close and personal as I share with you a part of my journey I hesitate sharing with a lot of people in a bid to protect myself. Trust me, my parents won't take this one bit because they'll feel their daughter will become vulnerable sharing this. But I'm sharing this to encourage you that faith in God is beautiful and he would always come true. I share how surviving viral encephalitis, which is viral inflammation of the brain, skyrocketed my faith in God and gave me yet another encounter. I hope this episode inspires you to always remember that God is faithful and he that has started his good work in you is faithful to bring it to a perfect end. My name is Viola Ekene. I am a survivor and this is part of my story. This is the Calm Down Podcast, a weekly reminder that we all have to take it one day at a time in our journeys, check up on our friends, and observe simple cuts. There are three segments to this podcast, which are the issues segment, where a topic is brought to the table and tackled, the reality check segment, where we check up on each other, and finally, the common sense rule segment, where we are reminded of simple cuts that we might have forgotten or oblivious to. I am your host, Viola Ekene. You know, you know, you know, of course, I won't start this episode without, first of all, thanking you so much for being part of my journey, being part of this community, and of course, clicking that play button. It means a lot to me. You might think it doesn't mean much, but I really appreciate you taking all the time to listen and to want to hear what I have to say. So I'm just going to get straight to the point. So in, in growing up, I've always been this type of child. You know, I was always taking first positions in class. I was very, very outspoken. If you're listening to me and we either went to the same primary or secondary school or even university, you might have a glimpse of what I'm talking about, you know. So when you grow up like that in an African environment or in in a Nigerian environment, you know, and you're the type that is very outspoken. You take first positions in class. You are automatically advised by anyone that seems to care about you that the best line of profession for you to go into is medicine. You either study medicine to become a medical doctor or you become a pharmacist or an engineer or a lawyer. The only art course that was considered, and I don't know if it's still considered very reasonable up until now, is law. So I grew up thinking at first when I was in secondary school in my junior secondary school I, I wanted to be a lawyer because I was I, I participated in debate competitions I could always speak well I could argue very well so I told myself you know I'm going to study law which was very very good at that time I was being very truthful and honest with myself I felt like at that time in my life nobody had really infiltrated or tried to tell me what to study because at that time when someone asked me oh um what do you want to study in the university in the university and I'll be like I want to study law so they like yeah, it's a feature. You talk a lot. So then growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer. But then when I was in my senior secondary, I didn't go to the same junior secondary school and senior secondary schools. So I had to switch to another school, to a federal government college. When I got in there, then the whole narrative started changing. Art students were considered as the dumbest. So if you're in science class, whether you are there because you are science inclined or not, then you are really smart. And I didn't want to be considered as a very dumb person. So I stupidly, which um, now is to the glory of God, like I'm not regretting anything now, but 
but looking back then i wish i was our course advisors or our guidance and counselors in school really did a good job of explaining and trying to help us choose our career path in terms of either sciences or arts inclined subjects then in secondary school but it's all good so i headed over to the science class science class and i told myself countless number of times that yes i'm going to be a pharmacist then if you would ask me why i wanted to be a pharmacist i really would not have a very reasonable answer to give you i'll tell you that i just have passion to study pharmacy but deep down on the inside of me i didn't have any passion in fact i wasn't even inclined i wasn't so interested about you know helping people recover which is mostly what a pharmacist does with drugs right i wasn't so interested in it. i just wanted to study pharmacy and i wanted to be a pharmacist you know so that of course when you graduate from school or graduate from university you have um job security which is not bad right so that affected me up until ss3 after our wyek exams we wrote jump you know i filled in pharmacy and um when it was time for me to get admission though my admission delayed my admission letter i wasn't the first on the second list i think i was in the third list or there about i've forgotten but i got admission and i came and joined my mates in school very very late i'm trying to give you this background story so that you know you have you understand where i'm going to and what's going through or surviving this particular disease why i see it as a testimony today and what it has really done in my life so i got the admission first what i what i was given to study or the admission I got, I got zoology, right? And the first time I saw zoology, I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I was so disappointed. You know, my parents also felt bad for me. I wouldn't blame them. Of course, they have the interests of their daughter at heart. And of course, they felt like zoology, Jesus, what is this girl going to do with zoology after school? So I told myself that, you know what? You know the normal thing that you'd be advised if you are, <laughs> if you go to university in Nigeria, you wanted to study medicine and you're given another course. So as advice, you know what? right go in take the course do the course which is the wisest thing to do take the course then in your second year you are going to apply for change of course when your gpa is up to 4.5 and above and then you're going to switch over to the course that you've always wanted to do which is the wisest thing to do if you have passion and you know that that course you're switching over to is what you really wanted to do because i have a friend that did it and i'm so happy for her like and so shout out to you i'm so really happy for her she's doing the dream course she wanted but for some people like me that was not really what i wanted so fast forward to 2016 which was when I was in my 200 level when I resumed in my second year I was already switching between science between um pharmacy and zoology so I was more of like combining two courses together and it was so stressful for me and at the beginning of that semester I had already had it in mind that after this second year I'm going to swap bye bye to zoology I was even ashamed to tell anybody what I was studying then so whenever someone asked me Viola what course are you studying I'm like I'm studying zoology so the first thing the person would do the, the person would think i said geology so the person would be like oh geology and i'm like yeah 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 geology you know <laughs> that was how i was not so proud of that course so but in 2016 i remember you know most times going to school i'll be having this kind of splitting headache you know this kind of headache that when you are walking it seems as if someone as if you can hear the sound of your leg in your head that was the type of headache it started with so until one day i was at home and then i started having seizures and that day, my my parents went to um, bring my siblings back from secondary school. They went to bring them back from boarding school. I think they were on a midterm break or something. So I was only at home with the house help that we had then. So I, I, I what I remember now is that I started having seizures. You know, I started having seizures that I couldn't even control myself. I was trying to be normal, but it's as if my body had taken complete control of the way I 
wanted to act. So luckily for me, when that seizure started, my mom and my dad, they were just coming in with my siblings in our family car. So the house help rushed out and through the balcony screamed that she doesn't know what is going on with me. So my brother, my younger brother, he's actually very big, bigger than me. So he rushed upstairs and then he saw me on the bed. I was already starting to foam and my eyeballs going up. Mind you that we do not have any history of epilepsy in our family. So it was really devastating. My mom, I remember them taking me in the vehicle. I could, I could, I was very conscious of my environment, but I couldn't just control what was happening to me. So I remember them taking me to the hospital. I remember, oh my God, I've never seen my mom so confused. I've never seen her feel like and act really, really so bad. So they took me to a hospital, a very close hospital, and the doctor was a family doctor. So when they got to the hospital, of course, the doctor from the diagnosis he came up with, the symptoms were like more of like malaria to him. So he told my mom that my malaria has gotten, had gotten to a degree where it was beginning to affect my my brain, something like that. And that was why I was beginning to have seizures. So I was giving something, injected a drug. I don't know the others drug names. I was injected a drug that will help me to calm down. But of course, the seizures continued and at a point, it got really, really serious. So that was when my mom had to call a family friend of mine that is a medical doctor who advised my mom to, you know what, move that girl from that hospital to another specialist hospital, a hospital that he, um, from his recommendations, because he's also a medical doctor, feels like they have more equipment and more professional hands to handle that condition because there was already something he was suspecting from the symptoms my mom had already told him but he didn't want to you know give a general conclusion of course there had to be a diagnosis there had to be some tests carried out before you conclude that this is actually what is wrong with this particular patient so all through that time I was not even bothered about what was going on in my body I just knew that okay this is just a normal sickness this seizure is the one I don't understand after all this I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to read and I'm still going to get a pharmacy I've always wanted to study so to hear with what every other person had to say little did I I know that that particular encounter or that particular experience was going to change my life and my whole narrative. So it was now getting worse to the extent that I was dozing in and out of sleep. Now to my parents, they, they, they were like, they felt like it was in and out of sleep. But I was going in and out of consciousness. So the next day, um, we got a private vehicle. This was my mom. My mom was telling me later what happened because I can't really remember all the details. The ones I, ca- I could really remember was when I go into consciousness and I unconsciousness rather and I come into consciousness I just you know try to study my environment and know what is going on and it's as if I sleep out again so we got a private vehicle and they took me to the hospital in Enugu State because I was in Anambra State as at then so when I got to Enugu State they rushed me into the doctor's room because it was a state of emergency because I was already becoming very very unconscious I was already unconscious so I remember I gained consciousness when I had the, the sound. I've forgotten the name of that ruler used to wheel in patients when an emergency situation into a ward or into an emergency room. So that was what I was on. I think that bed was already finished. So I was put on a chair, like kind of like a wheelchair, something that would help them wheel me very fast to see the doctor. So when I got into the doctor's room, the doctor touched me, you know, at first because of the symptoms, he thought it was meningitis. So when on closer observation, he said that he was not going to give any general um, diagnosis that he was going to take me for me to go for a CT scan. So that was when I drifted into unconsciousness again because that was the only thing I could remember. Then the doctor, I don't know what happened again. The next thing I could remember was I was in an ambulance 
because I think it got to a point I could no longer breathe anymore. Like oxygen was no longer getting to my brain. Like guys, that moment changed the whole narrative for me because me drifting into consciousness and drifting into unconsciousness, it was as if I was looking at my life going away in front of me. It was, it wasn't really scary for me, but I didn't know what to do at that point in time. And anytime I drift into consciousness, I would always see my mom panicking and she was crying and always telling me to be strong for her. At that point in time, I was still confused. In fact, I was also still thinking of me. I want to go back to school so I can just, you know, study and switch to pharmacy, which was seemed like the very most important thing to me then. So I was in that ambulance, you know, and I drifted into consciousness. So I was like, wait, why am I in, a, in, in an ambulance? And then it was as if something was helping me to breathe. So that was when I felt the oxygen tank in my nose. So I was drifting into unconsciousness, unconsciousness and consciousness. Then we entered the, the, the place we had to be given the CT scan. So when I was pushed into that stuff that is like in, an, in a circle shape where it scans your entire body, my brain was to be scanned on because that was where the doctor said the, the scan should be focused. So when he was scanned and the, you know, the result brought out, the doctor said I had viral encephalitis. And in case you don't know what viral encephalitis is, it's just an inflammation of the brain. An inflammation is something like a swelling, right? It's an inflammation of the brain caused by a virus, right? There are up to five viruses that can cause this depending on the virus that decides to cause it. So what this virus basically does is that once it enters into the bloodstream, it migrates straight into the brain cells. And when it gets to the brain cells, it starts to multiply. And you know when it starts to multiply, that particular side of the brain starts to swell. So depending on the type of virus out of these five, up to five viruses I said that can do this, it depends on the one that enters into your body system. Some have different preferences for the, the, the particular part of your brain they want to lodge in. So if that virus decides to lodge in a particular side of the brain that has to do with your voluntary responses. It affects your locomotive movements. If it lodges in the side of the brain that has to do with, you know, mostly your electrical impulses, that is when you start to have seizures. So that was where mine lodged. So that was why I was constantly having seizures. And so when I was diagnosed of that, the doctor came in and I was given a special room. Yo, I... I remember, I don't know how many days, because I remember drifting into unconsciousness, but I don't know how long that was. But I knew it was quite a long period of time, according to what my mom told me, because I later asked her some of these details. I knew it was very, a very long period of time. And I remember the time I woke up, I, I woke up and I saw my dad crying beside me and asking me not to die, that please, if I wanted to die, that I should, he should be the one, you know, that should die. He was just praying to God and mumbling, just saying all sorts of things, you know, saying that that if he, if there's anybody to die, he should be the one to die, that I'm still very young and I don't, I've not even achieved much of anything. That was when I woke him up and I scolded him to stop saying that. Now, why should he be saying such a thing that he's going to make my faith to dwindle? And my mom was also weak. My mom was just crying. You know, she was just crying up and down. And I had this very amazing family friend. In fact, she was in the same church with me then she just left everything and came to stay with me in the hospital guys the doctor that handled my case then was a i think he was a spanish man 
I've forgotten the country he's from, but he was not Nigerian and he wasn't African. He was a Spanish man. And this viral encephalitis happens like one, let me say in a decade, it happens like once. So when the doctor recommend the antiviral drug that, was, that will be used to cure this, it was very hard for my mom to get the drug. In fact, my mom said that she had to go into... Um, I think the market in Inugu is called Obwete, right? I've forgotten the market because I never lived in Inugu. I, I lived in Anambra for most part of my life. So my mom was telling me then that she went to look for this drug. She went to all the pharmacy shops. She went to so many places. She even went to the market until she was directed to one pharmacist that stays in the market, in like in, in the deepest part of the market. If that is the right word for lack of words, permit me to use that for lack of words. So my mom went to find that drug and she found it and that was the drug that was being used to help me to resuscitate me what changed this and why I'm changing why I'm actually sharing this story with you is because at that point the doctor said my chances of survival were slim and at that time in my life I, I, I just I, I gave my life to Christ in 2014 so it was like I was just beginning my walk with the Lord I was still you know just trying to get a hang of this whole thing and then it happened but one thing I've always known and one thing that I've always believed with my whole heart is God's word the infallibility of God's word and how faithful God is to his word so throughout all those times I was in the hospital and everybody around me you know that situation whereby everybody comes in anybody that comes in to see you in the hospital feel sorry for you and of course they care for you but then deep down you could read in their eyes that there was like little or no hope for me that was what i was reading in their eyes and you know that really really made me feel very determined to know that you know what i'm not going to die and i could remember myself most times um, reaffirming those words to myself. You know, in situations where it feels as if everything around you is going contrary to what you believe in God's word, I feel like it should come to a point where you verbally remind yourself God's promises. I kept on reminding myself that I am not going to die, but live to declare the goodness of the Lord. And when the Lord shall appear in glory, I also shall appear with him in glory. I kept reminding myself of these promises and it was not just the pain and it was not just about me lying down in that hospital bed for up to one month and, you know, missing out on a whole lot of things in school. At that point in time, I even stopped thinking about going to pharmacy, going to study pharmacy. It was now a fight of life and death because it is when you are alive that you even think of switching to any course. So at that point in time, my priorities changed. It was as if, you know, God, that was the point, even though that was the most painful stage of my life, it was the point that I had a closer encounter with God because the antiviral drug that I was to take then is not something that comes in that I have to be taking it tablet wise. It had to be given to me intravenously. So, and that drug was to be given to me after every eight hours. And you, the side effects of that drug is so freaking painful. I remember the side effects, one being that it has a very peppery sensation. So the drug has to be injected intravenously into your body, right? So the drug, due to the fact that it has a peppery sensation, so has the, the nurse is injecting it into my bloodstream, you know, intravenously. I could 
feel as if I would always feel as if there was pepper literally going into my blood. It was so painful, but I couldn't, you know, rub that part of my body where I would say I would I was feeling the exact pain because it was as if it was circulating to my whole body. And then the side effects one of the side effects was very severe headache and rashes. It gave me this kind of rashes all over my face. You know, I dealt with a whole lot of things and I also had to, it got to a point, I remember, shout out to you, Auntie Ada. I remember Auntie Ada always encouraging me. It got to a point where I just had to be strong, not for myself, but for the people that were taking care of me because they were just there. And the way my mom, my mom never lost hope, you know, but she was, I could see it in her eyes, like, what if my first daughter dies? You know, so that point for me was so trying and all I could lean on to and I could remember very well was God's promises for my life and the fact that I was going to live out my purpose. At that point in time, yeah, you know, in the last episode, I explained why wherever you are right now is part of purpose. And that point in time, I didn't understand, but I knew that what was happening was because was happening and I wasn't going through it alone. God was there for me. So at that point in time, I was never giving up. I knew that I'm going to survive, even though that the chances of survival were very, very slim. And my mom always made sure, my mom was so proactive. She was always made sure that when it was eight hours time interval, she would go call the nurse, come and give my child this medication. And each time that drug was brought to me to be given, I would cry a lot. You know, time and emotions, because I'm becoming really emotional now, might not allow me to explain all the intricate details of everything that went through at that point in time. The feelings and the the, the fear that almost enveloped me and the fear that enveloped everybody else. But and the fact that it got to a point, you know, I told you earlier on that it's the drug is given intravenously. So it got to a point where they couldn't even find any vein in my body. I think my vein, my veins were becoming tired of being punctured and punctured all the time. So there was a time because I was, for me not to get dehydrated, I was always on drip 24 hours. And that drug takes up a lot of energy. So after, for instance, I used to eat a lot then even while I was sick, when I was sick rather, because the drug took a lot of energy from me. So after like three hours, my body would want more food because the drug was taking up a lot. So I was always on drip 24 hours, so I wouldn't get um, dehydrated. So it got to a point, all all the veins in my body went on strike. They were like, you know what? They will puncture this vein today because they want to put drip here because this vein has stopped taking in drip. So they would puncture it and then they would come and puncture another part of my body next time to give me the intravenous injection. So it got to a point my veins were tired, I guess, and they all decided not to come out. So most times I was taking drip through my leg. There was one time, I think two times they found vein on my leg, a vein on my leg. So I was taking the drip then. There was one time they couldn't find any vein anymore. So they had to resort to the vein on the upper part of my hand. And that vein, the vein on the upper part of the hand is a very straight vein. So that vein is not a vein that you just um, um, puncture and the person would move his or her hand freely. So when that vein is, is punctured, I have to keep my hand in one place or else when I move, it's going to affect me. You know, so it was a hell of... It was, it was the most trying period of my life. 
So these days when I see or when I hear that, you know, people went through something that they almost lost their life, I totally understand with them. And what has this thing actually, actually taught me? Number one thing that is taught me is that some things you go through, there are some things that you go through, it's not your faith that keeps you. The faith of Jesus comes true for you. Let me explain. Looking back now, after that ailment, when I came back home and I was recuperating, I would always look back and ask myself, where did that faith come from? And I know that for one thing, I knew that that faith wasn't my faith. It got to a point, I, f- I know that Jesus came in and helped make my faith stronger. Not like he was not in the picture already, but there was more like a very firm resolve in me that I am not going to die. So the faith of Jesus came true for me. And you know, there's a part of the Bible that says that the faith of Jesus will keep us true. Um, I just paraphrased because I'm not very good at, you know, memorizing Bible verses word for word. No, I don't do that. But there are some things that you'll be going through. I don't know if you've experienced this, but you can probably relate in one way or the other. There are some things that you'll be going through and you wonder at, wait, how am I this strong for this kind of situation I'm facing? You will realize that there is a part of you that is strong, not because your entire body wants to be strong, but there is this other thing holding you that you don't even know what it is. That is the faith of Jesus. That is Jesus being there for you, telling you that, hey, because you took the bold step of having faith in me to believe that you're going to come out of this, then you will come out of this. And that was when I really understood the scripture that said that, um, that, God will not bring a temptation bigger than us our way. So at that point in time, I was going through that. I knew that this thing is temporary. I knew within myself that this thing is temporary because for God to say in his word that he will not allow anything bigger than me to come my way. That means this ailment that is facing me, that is right here in front of me, is actually not bigger than me. There is something in me. There is a deposit in me. There is not just one deposit in me. There are so many of them that will enable me cross over, that will enable me be stronger, you know. So that was, again, what kept me at that point in time. And another thing I also wanted to let you know is that God won't allow something unless you allow it. That was when I learned one thing. You see, in most times that people go through sicknesses or are in the hospital and, you know, they have a condition that they are at the verge of death, if you are a believer, especially believer, and you know for yourself the healing power of God, you know for yourself that God keeps to his promises, and at that point in time, everything seems like you're dying, right? Even if you're in a coma. Because, you see, you can be in a coma, but your brain is very active. Your mind is very, very active. Even though there are some comas that affect the brain. But most times, some coma, if you've ever been in a coma, or if you've ever been so unconscious for a very long period of time, or I think coma is right what to use, you know that your mind is active. You can, there is a part of it, as if you're dreaming, but you are somehow active with your environment but most times when you now wake up you might not remember mostly everything but your mind is active you know at that point in time where you're feeling like everything is not going according to plan if you give up 
if you allow yourself to give up, then God allows you to give up. How do I explain? Um, so at that point in time that I was so sick and I was at the verge of death, my chances of survival were slim. I survived because I did not want to die. God created us human beings and gave us the tr free will, right? That we can make a choice today. He didn't create us robots. That was why he told us, you know, he, he, he made us in such a way that we can make our own choices. So if at that point in time I decided within myself, you know what, I'm going to end it. I'm tired of his, this whole thing and I just give up. Then God will allow me to die. That is, God will also help me to take my spirit. But because I was stubborn and I was like, God, I'm not going to die. God honored my word. In essence, what am I trying to say? God honors your words as a believer. Remember, the Bible said that ye are gods. So that is why most times we should be careful of what we say to ourselves, especially ourselves, especially in situations where we are going through. Things, or we are going through something we did not envisage would come our way, which most times is the negative. Do you understand? So we should always be mindful of our words and be mindful of the resolve we have within our hearts. Because even the tiniest thought in your heart, God hears it. So at that point in time, if I had told myself in my heart, nobody would have had it, right? It would have just been something I'll be ruminating over and over in my mind. If I told myself that, you know what? I'm tired. I, I don't want to go through this. I'm just going to end it here. Then God would allow it and I wouldn't be here sharing this story with you. So I think this is where I would stop. You know, guys, I'm just going to tell you guys the honest truth. This was so hard for me to come on here and share because I was so, and I still am very skeptical on how my parents would perceive this. Don't, let me explain why I'm, I'm a bit skeptical. I'm a bit skeptical because I know, you know, my parents have, they always want the best for me. And I remember my mom always telling me, don't go and be telling the whole world that you had this before they think that you're sick, you know, and it makes you vulnerable and people start to use it against you. So let me, let's clear something, um, guys. The viral encephalitis, I was in the hospital up to one month. I realized I didn't even finish the story. I was in the hospital up to one month. Then when I came back, hmm, I came back a week to the exams. So cut to, to cut the long story short, I wasn't able to switch over to pharmacy because I came back a week to exams. I was so weak. I was so tired. I was so frail. I was, my body was so weak. I couldn't even read for the exams. I remember anytime I opened my books to read then, I would have this type of headache because my body was still trying to recover and I wanted to give it another academic stress. So my body couldn't take it. So I came back that semester, my grades performed so poorly because I couldn't read for my exams and I applied for me to write, you know, my courses are fresh, but it didn't work out. So I just had to just write it like that. And one thing that I've learned, and I'm so grateful now, most times when I tell my friends this, they might not really understand. I am really grateful that I did not study pharmacy because if I had gone to study pharmacy, I would have not done well. I would not have found fulfillment. I would have felt caged. For someone like me that is a very spontaneous creative, I would have felt caged. I would have I wouldn't have done well. It, it would have been a total disaster. And, and I'm so grateful that one of the things that that time I was so sick did for me was kind of like a blockade for me not to study this course. And I'm really grateful for that. And one of the, one of the things, again, that that sickness taught me was after that sickness, guys, for me to survive that and all that those things, I went to the hospital and I'm healed and hearty right now. 
I know that nothing will ever, ever take my life. I, it it, it reinforced my faith in God. It made me believe that indeed God's word is true. When you hang on to his word, when you trust him, when you believe in him, he will always, always come true for you. He would always strengthen you. So I want, I'm putting this out there because I wanted to encourage you to know that in times that things are not going the way you planned, especially when you're someone that you've planned out your whole life, at 23, I would have done this, at 25, I would have done this, and probably one thing or the other comes into the way as an obstacle, I need you to know that it is also part of purpose. Everything works together for the good of those who are the called according to his promise. Everything is working out together for your good. And he that has said this good work in you is faithful to bring you to a perfect end. God is really faithful and he will always keep you. He will always sustain you. I'm telling you from experience that encounter, it changed my whole life. It solidified my faith in God and it brought me closer to him even after the sickness because I realized that God's love for me is unconditional. Everything is really working out for my good, and I'm really, really grateful for that. So that this is it. I just wanted to come on in here and share it. And even though I don't know how you're going to receive this, I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel so vulnerable doing this, but I, I, I know that sharing this will really, really encourage you and for you to also get to know me better because we are building a community here and this is a this is a journey, right? This is a journey. Nobody has it all together. And yeah, this is me sharing my journey with you and also encouraging you to let you know that you're not alone. God is faithful. God never goes back on his words. Jesus is the almighty God. He will always come true for you. He is faithful to the to the end. Like Jesus said that he would never leave nor forsake you, even to the end of the world. These are words that you need to constantly reaffirm to yourself and remind yourself, trust me, he is always going to be there for you. I am a living testimony of God's healing power. I am a living testimony, rather, of God's healing power, of God's faithfulness, of God's love, and of God's I don't even know how to put it because I'm always so terrible at expressing myself, especially my emotions now that I'm getting emotional. But I hope, yeah, I hope this is it, guys. I hope I finally did this. You know, I, I this is the, this is almost the hundredth time I am procrastinating doing this. And if you had known how many times I'd, I'd hit the record button and then I'd talk, I'd cut it, I'd be like, no, 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 Lord, I don't want to do this. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. do this. Even if I keep stammering, even if I talk too fast, because I tend to talk too fast, which makes me most times, you know, stutter. So <laughs> this is it. I hope this inspires you and... Um, in this episode, we are not going to be going over to the reality check segment and the common sense rule segment. I just wanted to come in here and share this part of my life with you, and I hope it inspires you. So for the reality check segment, um, that segment is actually basically a segment where we, can you imagine, actually basically, it's a segment where we, I get to check up on you and I get to make sure that you're doing fine. So if you have something you're going through, or if you have a testimony, or if you have something that you need my advice or my opinion and that of other members of the Calm Down podcast community, because this is not just a podcast community where you just come on in here and listen to an episode of the podcast that I drop out there. It is also a community where we get to grow together, where we get to feel each other's pains and encourage 
encourage one another. Iron sharpened iron, right? So if you have anything you're going through and you need my advice or opinion or that of the community, please do not hesitate to send it to ekeneviola at gmail.com. I'm going to drop my email address in the description so you can check it out or you can go to our Instagram page. That is the podcast Instagram page at the underscore calm underscore down underscore podcast um, and drop me a direct message and I'm going to read it out in the next episode of the podcast. I'm going to offer my advice and of course leave it open on our social media platforms and on the mailing list as well so that other members of the community can proffer the advice and then I'll send all the advice to you just so you make sure that you're making the right decisions and you're living your best life. So thank you so much for listening to this point. I love you. I love you so much. You are amazing and I appreciate your presence. I appreciate you once again clicking this and listening to everything I had to say up until this point. Thank you so much for listening to this point. I hope you learned a whole lot. If you want to receive updates on new episodes, you can subscribe to my newsletter by clicking the link in the description box. We are also on social media. You can follow the Countdown podcast on Instagram at the underscore calm underscore down underscore podcast. And you can like our Facebook page at the Countdown podcast and also join our Facebook group Countdown podcast community. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at viola underscore ekene v-i-o-l-a underscore e-k-e-n-e so is there anything bothering you that you need my opinion and that of the community on before making a decision for the reality check segment please please send a mail to ekeneviola at gmail.com e-k-e-n-e v-i-o-l-a ekeneviola at gmail.com or send a direct message to our podcast instagram handle at the calm down podcast that is v underscore calm underscore down underscore podcast you can also check out my blog at www.iswordmybeauty.com again www.iswordmybeauty.com for amazing beauty lifestyle and interview contents this podcast is also available to listen on apple google podcast spotify pocket cast breaker radio public listen notes and other podcast listening platforms out there once again i'm your host viola ekene thank you so much for listening and love you